This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello! Oh my God! Crew, we've arrived! Disruptors have assembled! Welcome, gang. We got a great weekend. Who's that? Benoit Blanc, the detective? Mr. Prompt, I cannot overstate my gratitude to be here. When's the murder mystery start? Da, 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 da. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. What's going on, ma'am fam? It's your boy, Big RV, here hosting tonight with the whole crew. I've got Kent to my left, Brian to my right, and all of you straight in front of us. Visualize how podcasts work. Uh, but not true at all, because we're all on Zoom. So I'm talking about the, the bubbles with our names on them. How you guys doing? Excellent, man. The Benoit Blanc Cinematic Universe is officially underway, guys. We did it. <laughs> it is. Thank God. Definitely one thing is. that of all the things we've tried to put into the world, if that's <laughs> the only one that ever happens, I'm fine with that. Yeah. We got a MacGruber series. We made yeah, that we happen. Yeah, we did. We did so. get that. Still haven't got MacGruber in space, but working <laughs> on it. Yeah, we haven't gotten Tom Cruise in a Fast and Furious movie yet. <laughs> we did get Fast and Furious in space, and we're about to get mm-hmm. Tom Cruise in space. I feel like yeah. we, we willed yeah. those into mm-hmm. the universe somehow, too. You should see my outfit for this Benoit Blanc episode, guys. I'm just <laughs> fitted out. Scarf. You uh-huh. got some linen pants on. Yep. I'm linen and kerchiefed like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Gosh. And then I'm going to change into some adorable tweeds halfway through. Amazing. Adorable. I like that. Adorable. It's a good word. How uh, everyone have good Christmas, gentlemen? It yeah. was good. It was, uh, you know, full of family. Yeah, uh, you know, I hit, uh, you know, movie reference for you. Four Christmases Sick. in one oh, day. Nice. Look at you. So, you smell worse uh, already. Yeah, I do. <laughs> John Favreau says, "What up?" Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was good and mission accomplished. Update: I did get cinema speculation. That was my one wish list nice. thing. Nice. So I'm excited to dive into that uh, here Very pretty nice. soon. Nice. You'll love it. You'll love it. That's awesome. Yeah, had a good time. Nice little uh we my family does uh Christmas stuff on on Christmas Eve, so, you know, presents and meal and all that thing. Christmas Day was just me and Coop and Lindsay for a good chunk of time and then Lindsay's mom came over and we did a little Christmas with her, went and saw a movie. It was pretty pretty chill, so it was nice. What'd I, you I see? We saw uh spoiler alert for the end of the episode, my weekly recommend, which was oh, okay. Puss in Boots. Could not believe how good oh, this nice. was. Yeah, I've heard it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I was hoping he took Coop to Babylon, but. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's that's next week. He was not feeling great. You know, that's what we were going to go see today together. But uh, yeah. Is it appropriate it. to bring Coop to like an adult theater at his age? <laughs> oh, you said Puss in Boots. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. There you go. Yeah. Got it. It was at the. It's not the other way around. I, heard, mis- I misheard you. Theater. Um, but <laughs> no, it, 
That makes sense. Got it. Uh, no, that's awesome. That's a good How about Christmas. you, Arby? First, first Christmas for Jeb. So everything. it was the first Christmas for old Jeb. Um, yeah, it was all about him. You know, dressed him in little what outfits. Narcissist. Gosh. Uh, I got him presents, all that. Sarah and I are really bad. Like this is maybe the seventh out of the last eighth Christmases where we didn't get each other anything because we always get something like at some point in the next in the three months leading up to Christmas, and then we look at each other and go, This is Christmas, right? Whether it's like a trip or a Yeah, sure. same. So our Christmases are always kind of I always feel bad because like everyone's like texting like oh did you get Sarah anything cool and it's like well not today in September I got a really nice expensive something that I, that she just bought and told me was Christmas so uh, you know it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like sure. a, a jerk but so yeah I was very uneventful on the Sarah and Richard front but it was uh yeah Jude had a good time and you know as good a time as a nine-week-old can have and <laughs> and uh you know Olive it's all it was Olive's 14th birthday huh. so that was a bigger occasion. Yeah. So she got Christmas Eve. She got a junior bacon cheeseburger, her favorite meal, <laughs> which awesome. are now, hold on. Can I do a rant? Yeah. Three bucks now for yeah. a junior bacon Everything's cheeseburger. expensive, man. It sucks. It's, it's, They're just taking advantage of us with this inflation. It's not inflation. Yeah. Totally. Oh yeah. The dollar menus now at fast food, there's like three <laughs> items and they put it down on the they're like, just like Biden, right, right? They're like they don't want you to see it, <laughs> yeah. and then they charge you. It's like um, yeah. inflation's not six hundred percent. It's like thirty percent over the last ten years or whatever. Like that's fine if you want to charge me a dollar seventy nine when this used to be ninety nine cents, but three dollars. Right. Yeah. Nah, man, Biden or I Trump. Who do, you, who do you not like? Yeah. It's their fault. <laughs> yeah. it's, not it's weird that they make the cashier look you in the eye and say, "This is the future Dems want." You know, like, I think that's too far, but. It's so yeah. funny. You're just like, I hate I, the. Um, I can do math. Like I, I don't think <laughs> this is inflation. Now it is. To uh, to go along with your rant of why is the veggie sub at Subway the same price oh, as a regular dude, one? Don't even right. just toppings. On that yeah. same note, Taco Bell, you get a regular soft taco. It's like a dollar seventy nine, but you can get like a giant five layer burrito for like sixty nine cents. <laughs> yeah. Makes absolutely no sense to me. You would think like this normal taco yeah. would be the cheapest thing on the menu. Nope. Sure. Man. Taco Bell soft taco though slaps. It does. I guess that's why it's expensive because people You can add jalapenos order to it more now. of those than order it's a game changer. You know, beefy five layers or whatever yeah. it is. And uh I know. Yeah, we can we can go on these a lot. But I was out I went, I was like, ooh, I'm gonna sneak in and get her a little burger. This will be a dollar fifty. Like, How well, nice was bucks? it though <laughs> to be able to watch the movie of Christmas, uh, the season, at least in terms mm. of the Twitter chatter, uh, at home? Yeah, not out to fight yeah. the Christmas crowds this year. Yeah, we had a little Netflix action going on. Absolutely, for the Christmas season. That was a nice welcome change. I enjoyed that. I I did too, and. The only person that didn't was Brian because he still was like, "Nope, we're going to the movie theater." Because I'm an insane person. I, w- I, just I watched, would have watched Knives Out on a uh, an iPad in the movie theater. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the only way I can not be distracted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You wouldn't sell tar. And yeah, just put on Knives Out on an iPad. <laughs> One for Violent Night, please. Um, but I'll be using my own iPad. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I would have gone to see this in the theater, but it was in theaters for six days at at Thanksgiving. So there wasn't yeah, a lot of Lindsay well. did. Lindsay went to see this with her family 
on That's Black fun. Friday. Um, but that was it was right during uh, soccer time for. Uh, Got it. So I stayed. The uh, yeah, I, w- I want to talk about that. That kind of leads us into the conversation about the movie. The reception to this film, it shows the difference. I saw kind of a tweet thread about this today, and I think it's interesting because it's something we've talked about before as we talk about the change, metamorphosis, death of <laughs> cinema, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the in the movie theater, that this got nearly universal praise mm-hmm. from you know all sides of the everything um, when it was in theaters. And it did you know pretty well for a movie that everyone knew was going to be out five weeks later free because everyone has Netflix. Um, basically so, and you know, people just saying it wasn't the best movie I've seen in years, incredible, no critiques, whatever. And then once it came out on Netflix, um, still a, a, a well-received film, but definitely more nitpick. People can pause it. They can look at stuff. They can, you know, they're not in the atmosphere where all the jokes land with a million people laughing. It's just them. Maybe the comedy doesn't hit. Maybe you, you're more keyed up to criticize. You, you're more tweeting as you watch it kind of thing. So it was interesting the way this movie was received in both ways. And that is something that's, I think sometimes I'm misunderstood on it. As I say that, like we've talked about this on text the other night with Babylon's like, this is a dying thing, these movie theaters, but I don't love that. I love Mm -hmm. a movie theater, especially for a movie like this. It's funny because you can't beat comedy in a movie theater, but this is something that's really lost when I think like, 60% 60% of theaters are going to be gone in two years if this is the trend mm-hmm. because there's just not enough Marvel to support them. I don't think you're around. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. But at some point, I feel like the real estate will start reflecting the interest. And then we really have to reevaluate what goes in the theaters because there will be a scarcity of resources. So anyway, I wanted to talk about the the how do you think this landed in Netflix versus the the theaters at, before we kind of get into the, into the movie? Ken, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I, I think we guess that Netflix saw Knives Out and was like, we need this. We love this. This is exactly mm-hmm. the kind of movies we want. And they forked over $450 million for for two sequels, one of which was this one. Uh, budget, apparently, according to Wikipedia, which I think is the gospel of movie budgets, $40 mm-hmm. million spent on this one. And uh, I don't know, maybe another you know, 10 or $20 spent on, on marketing this thing. This is a big word of mouth one. Yeah, but didn't but, uh, they have to pay a certain amount to a studio to like acquire it? There was some number at the beginning where they're like, they're getting the rights to Knives Out for X amount. Does that factor into the budget? I'm asking, not saying. I'm not I sure would imagine Netflix it. wouldn't take that out of what they paid. I imagine that they would have yeah. just. I just remember there was some number when they announced these that was like. It was a huge number. It was like, yeah, it was like 130 million for 450. It was four, okay. four sixty nine, but maybe uh, damn good time. But you know, the end of ended up getting I don't know. But they imagine. they okay. made sure that Ryan Johnson was making these movies, these sequels with Netflix. So props to them for for recognizing yeah, for sure. the word of mouth, the talent, betting on this sequel to be good, to be something that people would want to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, forking over the cash. And Ryan Johnson probably was like, I'm selling to the highest bidder, period. And it ended up being Netflix. Yeah, they did do some theatrical distribution. He's, you know, obviously said some stuff about about why that is. But I think at the end of the day, one of the tweets that I saw, Richard, said, Glass Onion success proves that people want to see something other than than superhero movies, you know? And the mm-hmm. reason people are talking about this is, is that 
But when <laughs> all that there is in movie theaters is superhero movies. Yeah. And, mm. you know, something does pop in the theater, like like Knives Out did the first time around. I mean, that made a yep. ton of money in the theaters. Yep. It was out for, for a long time. I just remember it just kept making money. People just kept going to see it. Mm -hmm. And so when you take something like that away, <laughs> it, it doesn't leave much except for superhero movies. So yeah. it, it sucks. Like even the success stories get swept up by sure. streaming services like very quickly. <laughs> and like those are exceptions more than the rule, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, that's the problem is it's not that nothing outside of superhero movies and Tom Cruise can make money and be successful in theaters. It's that no one knows what those are going to be because it's like one out of every 11 and it seems pretty random. Like, it's pretty random that this movie did so well. Like it really is without any intellectual property. It's awesome that it did, but it used to be, you know, two out of five of these did well. So it was like, cool, we'll make these because it, the other two pay for the other three. But when only one out of 14 does well, mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's not a whole lot of Ryan Johnson's out there that are <laughs> that quality of filmmaker. It's really hard to bet on that. So you just go, you know what? Capes make money, man. Let's just get another cape up there because that at least we can hedge. Um, it's, it's not that, you know, I people always say in the, in the face, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what you're doing, Kent, but like people always say, well, this did well. It's like, yeah, because that's the, there's always an exception. But when you're having to produce all of these financially, it's just not worth the bet that it could do well because it could, of course. Oh, there's absolutely. A 10%, any, any independent idea. Cool movie could do well, but there's like a ninety percent chance now, which sucks, that it will just kind of go out to a blah. So you just say, uh, "Does Daredevil have a brother?" <laughs> All right, we'll just do a Daredevil brother, movie, you know, because and like you just do that because <laughs> this guy is death. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would be great to have a theatrical series for adults. That's in theaters, uh, you know, uh, that's funny, yes, of course. That, that has all that basically this, you know, and that's the totally. thing. It's just, I mean, Ryan Johnson's an example, you know, Cooper Rafe, people like that who yeah. burst onto the scene with, with success and here's, you know, every streaming service with an open checkbook totally. to, to sign them up for a four picture deal. Absolutely. That's just the way it goes now. And, uh, the real thing keeping movie theaters in business is horror movies more than superheroes. I oh, think. sure. Sure. Well, the scary thing is we're getting to a point. My point about the horror movies keeping theaters in life, we're getting to a point where does Marvel need to be on a big screen? Really? Mm -hmm. Like once our screen and once they've kind of broken the threshold of some of these like Moon Knight type shows, Randor type shows with Star Wars. I, I, I wonder if that's a bad move long term because you go. I mean, yeah, it's louder and a bigger screen, but like, they're not that communal. It's not a, a funny movie or a, or a scary movie where you go, oh, this added something to it that I was next to another human. It's like, at, you know, at some point our home theaters catch up and then what? Like, you know, yeah. it's not, especially, I mean, some, sure, like maybe like an Avengers or something, but like, you know, was... Not trying to be like, was Wakanda forever that much better in a movie theater, really, than it would be on your awesome home theater? I don't think it really is that much, especially mm -hmm. if like, as I was telling you guys via text, the the thing that no one speaks about, and I think it's because this is the rare time I'll I'll compliment the coast. I think <laughs> Los Angeles and New York audiences, the people that kind of control this industry, it's where the hubs are, are just better audiences in a movie theater because they're always like. 
oh, so much better in the theater seeing that. And it's like, not for me because the dude behind me had a Bluetooth speaker and he was just playing music for half the movie. And then this guy, this old person yelled at uh, someone for being Native American halfway through the movie. And it was awful. I was so uncomfortable the entire time. It was a chore to get through your great movie because of humans are awful. And I've, and it's like now that's like 70% of the time when I go to the theater, we were all texting each other. I don't know what movie it was a couple weeks ago in the theater. Maybe it was Wakanda Forever. It was like, or it was Avatar or something. It was like, yeah, literally like people, just, people during Avatar. Avatar like, was the one yeah. for me. The guy was literally drumming on like the table of <laughs> right. me during And they're during like, the it's so much song. better in the theater. And you're like, I agree to disagree. Because yeah. guess what doesn't happen in my living room? A dude with a Bluetooth speaker two rows behind me playing EDM. Like, just mm-hmm. doesn't happen. I mean, sometimes on Fridays late. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the one drumming on the table. On pizza by Friday. Yeah, <laughs> on pizza maybe. by Friday. Otherwise, but no. right, no one ever talks about that. It's like we have, and it's worse post COVID because we're used to being in our rooms yeah. and like we have no etiquette anymore. And no one, like, until we can figure out the financial model where these theaters can enforce some stuff, like it's yeah. not a good experience. Even if the movie's great and it's loud and the screen's awesome and the lights are dark and the popcorn's great and we're all laughing, all it takes is two idiots. And that's all ruined. And it's just now those two idiots are in every screen. Yeah. Um, Random. No, over, no, I, I, but no, I've never heard anyone talk about that. I think because when you go to the freaking, what's the big theater in LA? I forgot what it's called. The, I think I actually went out of business, but the big dome. dome. Yeah, whatever. It's like, guess what? No one talks. But that at the Cinemark in Plano, <laughs> it's not the case. <laughs> Yeah. Let's talk about the movie content wise. So we were all knives out fans, um, for sure. We all really enjoyed it. We love the 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 writing, the character, the tone. I mean, these are something we always hammer home is sometimes things are overly heavy, sometimes things are overly light. This really kind of walked a great murder mystery line. We talked about how we love murder mysteries. It was fun to have one that's contemporary and not um, even though we love Murder in the Orient Express. It's it's nice to have a contemporary. We've talked about kind of what we feel about the the universe and the character and all that. Um, I want to talk first to you, Kent. How just as a general way of coming into the actual film itself, how, how did you feel it lived up to the to the its predecessor? Did it feel different, good, bad, better, worse, everything? You know, it it felt different, but I wouldn't say it was worse. Definitely um, more of the same. Great continuation. Uh, similar tone, more lighthearted tone than mm. the first one, in my opinion. Way a little bit, a little bit more humor, a little bit less like, yeah, these people are miserable. But the first one felt a lot more like a an angry Thanksgiving dinner than uh, this one did. Um, these people are just miserable people in their own forms of life, and there's less like a a family situation going on. You know that one. The first one was a lot warmer. This one. I mean, a lot colder. This one's mm-hmm. a lot warmer in terms of settings. But guys, I, I don't know if it's the right term, but I, I might be obsessed with it, these. <laughs> you know, I might be. <laughs> Benoit Blanc is like such a great character. I yeah. mean, Craig, the way he's playing this character, all the nuance, all the swagger, all the, I don't know, mystery. Whatever you want to call it, I I, I can't get enough. Sexy of it. Columbo. I can't. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Absolutely can't get enough of 
a guy who's James Bond playing this like <laughs> awkward Southern detective. It's like <laughs> almost the same character, but is they're so different. <laughs> in this, in this, it, but oh gosh, one I thing just, in common: they wear the heck out of clothes. Yeah, it reminds <laughs> it reminds me of his his character from uh, Soderbergh's Logan Lucky more than any any yeah. other character he's mm-hmm. played before. And I remember that. I was like, man, I've never seen this side of Daniel Craig. If anyone or anything can can capitalize on this energy, I want more of it. And I, give me more quick, Benoit Blanc. I don't want to interrupt, but real quick, I genuinely think that was like full on very important for his career, that movie. I think that he was mm. so not having fun um, with that, that uh, with, oh gosh, I've forgotten what the name of the Bond movie, Spectre. Yeah. I think he was having so little fun and then he does that Soderbergh movie and just gets to be goofy and weird and do a bit. And he was like, oh, it's fun to make movies again. And here we are, Daniel Craig doing vodka ads and making an incredible Bond movie and this series and all this. Sort of stuff. I think that I really think that was a that was a huge, important thing for his career that doing that movie. Sorry to interrupt, but I was no. thinking about that while I was watching this. Like, gosh, I think that retaught him how to have fun. And enjoy what he's doing. He's a really joyful actor, and, and yes. uh, Bond requires such a, uh, you know, little on the nose. stoic, yeah, energy, stoic, and buttoned yeah. up energy, yeah. you know, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and and thus, you know, I think it's easy to fall into that and like get bummed out by that. It's totally normal. So I think it's a great mm-hmm. note, Brian. But can, yeah, continue, continue your your love affair with Benoit. I, I absolutely, I, I love the character and the thing, Ryan Johnson has been saying in the in sort of the promotion of this and in his press tour is that it's really important for him to establish that Benoit Blanc is not the protagonist of these stories, even mm. though he's the the character that the audience yeah. likes the most. He's basically just the, the audience. He's the observer on the outside, kind of this omniscient, omnipresent, uh, hovering above the action type of person. And we're kind of seeing these characters that he encounters through his eyes. And I just love, love his approach to that. The way he shot this movie was, I mean, a masterclass in in editing and, and visual clues and, and character reveals and character introductions and, and all of that kind of stuff. I just think Ryan Johnson's vision for this franchise and vision for these stories, his knowledge of what makes, who done it's great his knowledge of what makes a compelling uh you know pacing wise movie all benefit him here and this is like really his magnum opus like we think about Ryan Johnson as you know Star Wars and Looper and Brick and all these great independent movies like this is going to be what he's known for and it's just it just reeks of creativity even though it is so derivative it's unapologetically derivative <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's so yeah. daggum creative and fun and funny and, you know, satirical and mysterious and all the things that, uh, I don't know, it's got such a like 1950s to to like mid 60s feel to it in terms of the tone. It's got this real Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart energy to it <laughs> that mm-hmm. I just can't get enough of. And I haven't seen, I don't know, maybe Wes Anderson kind of has a similar energy sometimes, but. I just like haven't seen a movie for adults like this in a long time or a series like this. Yeah. Brian, what about you? What's your, what's your feeling on these and how, how does this one sit with, with the first? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. It's, it's, 
Walking down to Knives Out, and it just was such a... I mean, what was that, 2017? So 20, It was 19, wasn't it? I don't know. Yeah, I think you're probably right. It was right before the pandy, I thought. Yeah, that sounds uh, more right than what I said. Um, Yeah. I... So much has always changed, even in the last like three years, you know. But even in 2019, I uh, walk over like, "Gosh, dang it! I I need uh, I need more of this kind of movie." Um, we we pretty perpetually lament the loss of the the movie made for adults, and uh, that's fun, you know. And yeah, isn't you're just, always saying on the street. You have that sign. You say on the street and said more. You always says more adult more, films. Yeah, it's it's led to some confusion. Um, and I but always if you just I kinda, stop and pull over and talk to you. Right. Yeah. I just want to have a dialogue. Right. You, you know? just want to have a dialogue. Um, Start a conversation. And, uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, it, I've had a I've had to clarify a bunch um, at work especially, but uh, yeah, it's but but my point stands. You know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but just there's just not enough of this kind of film, and uh, and the first one of these is just such a creative, fun, ridiculous experience. Everybody's having a great time. The writing is tight. It's playing on tropes that are very familiar, but but also comfortable, and it kind of explored in a in a. I think if you're like if you're gonna do this kind of thing, and you're gonna have it be tropey and and rely on on very well established notes and stuff you have to then have the writing be really great and got it no problem that's that's probably maybe more than anything else has always been ryan johnson's strength and you have to have actors who are really bought in it's that is an absolute fact in knives out you know they're really there to have a great time and i walked out thinking gosh i need we need we need one of these every other year we need Mm -hmm. to do this constantly you know it's such a fun world and uh and so you know we got one here i was very this was very very high on my anticipated list for the year um and it was i think it's genius to to do i mean to just keep it based on on the uh the mysteries that craig or excuse me that that uh, benny blanc is is uh investigating kind of turn over the rest of the cast have it be sort of anthology like and stuff i love that i think that's that's really smart and i think you you touched on it, Kent, but the his in Ryan's insistence on trying everything he can to not let this be um to not make Benny Blanc the, the main character, but to make the mystery and the story the main character is is evident and very apparent watching these things and and I think and that the that's female a huge lead part of it. every time yeah. with Janelle yeah. and, and Anna is is really smart as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I I genuinely, it's been fun this week, the last couple of days, especially. Um, I wasn't sure when you'd watched it, Kent. So Richard and I, I knew when, I knew Richard had already watched it. So Richard and I were trading uh, probably three dozen tweets over the last couple of days of people like, here's my idea for another Knives Out movie or just the discourse around it and everything was awesome. And uh, you don't, you don't get that a lot with with non super duper blockbustery movies and with the super duper blockbustery movies that's usually like hey it was really awesome when maverick did that thing and you're like yeah it freaking was it really yeah, was everyone's you know? chris farley yeah exactly exactly um this is kind of on remember a when he level. broke mach 10 <laughs> yeah that was, that was awesome, awesome. <laughs> or did he <laughs> yeah. so love this man it was a it was a whole lot of fun all the 
And I do. I genuinely, I hope that he will. I know he's got one more uh, coming for sure. I, this is something you could return to every, every, he could do one of these every other movie or every movie as far as I'm concerned, but, but he could go do a little independent movie and then come back and make another one of these and just like until we get tired of them, which I feel like is a, is a long way off because they just feel so much fun and so different than just about everything else we've got. Yeah, same. I mean, I was excited for this. Love the cast. Um, interesting, interesting, uh, you know, much like the first interesting array. It was kind of one of those things we were joking about at the time. Just everyone kept being added to this. You didn't really know mm-hmm. in what role or capacity or amount they'd be in this, but. It just kind of seemed like this big thing, you know, especially with spending almost five hundred million on these. I know there's just one more announced. I did see Ryan said that he he doesn't see this as a trilogy, though. He thinks it'll be an ongoing thing. So I'm sure there's an implied, "Hey, we're giving you this money, but we're going to need like four or five of these." Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, think, I think they might might spend a hundred million on hundred hundred fifty million on two movies, and he might just pocket two hundred two hundred million bucks. I I think those that budget is outside of they I think they were just buying the rights to have these so like I, I think they'll I I think they'll ask for more of them but I mean whatever but hopefully I I think that yeah and I think he said he I mean he said he'll do as many of them as as it as he and Daniel Craig can come up with but um yeah there's there is something so fun about it. murder mysteries are great I saw some people talking about on the press up to this that like and it's such an interesting thing is. We all love these movies and, and they do the Agatha Christie thing a lot. And those are great. But what is lost on a modern audience, and this happens a lot, is the the satire. Um, because those Agatha Christie movies, all those little tropey characters are really satirical in, you know, 1920 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of lost on a 2022 audience or even a 1992 audience, you know. So you just appreciate only the, the, the mystery. It, what he's brought back to this are these is the satirical of the you know the billionaire tech guy and the, yes, yes um and the you know which weirdly in a hundred years may be a thing that no one gets they'll just get the mystery right the kind of mm-hmm. in, uh, Instagram influencer the all these tropes of stuff that exist really day to day in our lives put into a murder mystery um and and a little satire around what what you acquire within in, in a company when it's um, when it kind of overgrows itself and it's just trying to be all things to all people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting notes in this um, that are, are lost if you just do Murder on the Orient Express again. But at the time, that was just as relevant as this felt today. I think it's right. really interesting way. They were set in the, the, their own time at the sure. time. Right, exactly. And and I think it's a really cool thing. And that's kind of the 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 point of this is like these were, this is a great type of entertainment and i'm going to bring that feeling back to whatever it's there's an interesting thing i mean i don't know if i necessarily fully agree with this but there it, it reminds me of there was a guy talking years ago when hamilton was really big in 2015 and he said you know he was some historical theater um theatrical scholar of some kind he said when when audiences the reason audiences like this is it does the same thing to the brain that shakespeare did meaning it's really interesting rhyming, often often rhyming, really interesting mathematical language of rap music, and it's a historical epic, right? So if you the, watching Hamilton in 2015 feels the same to your brain as watching, you know, um, Richard the Third in 1500, you know, right. it's just as exciting and interesting, right? And but if you watch, if you read Richard the Third now, 
it still has literary value or you could watch it, it still has dramatic value, but you're missing that that second part where it it feels like pop culture, you know? And and mm. so that's what this brings um brings to the murder mystery uh piece. So yeah, anyway. I, I was thinking about that when I was watching this. It, yeah. And the fact that you know, not only Agatha Christie, but you know, movies like Clue and other whodunits, uh, you know, are whodunits. But it reminds me really of like sitcoms, Richard, and yeah. how the trope of the sitcom of schlubby husband, you know, wife that has to hold everything together, kids that are chaotic. Right. How many times has that been used? But, you know, all it takes is somebody with good writing to do it again sure. for it to be popular again. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it's it's kind of a tried and true method that if you do it well, will always be tried and true. And Absolutely. I feel like that about whodunit movies. Yeah, I mean, it's for sure. I mean, there's literally still a whole industry of escape rooms and murder mystery theater and all these things mm. that people go to experience this in person, you know? So, um, all that to say, it's it's a, it's a really interesting thing. I'm, I'm excited for it. And then, yeah, I mean, I was, I was in, and then Yo-Yo Ma and Hugh Grant showed up, and I was even more in. So, American so Treasure good. and European Treasures, by the way, both of them. Yeah, I was wondering who you were saying American Treasure. I was like Kareem, maybe Kareem. Yeah, yeah. no, Kareem Yo-Yo pops Ma, up in there for yeah, like Kareem's two seconds. So Kareem's up there. Funny. Angela Lansbury, another European treasure as well, probably. But yeah, no, yeah. a Yo-Yo Ma. Came I was wondering early. who you were referencing, and then yeah, okay, Yo-Yo Ma, I got it. Um, the man, but uh, sneaky funny. But uh, yeah. yeah, but then Hugh Grant as as Blanc's husband or whatever is um we're gonna need a whole movie on that like tomorrow. <laughs> oh, we'll get it. Movies. We'll <laughs> yeah. get a whole backstory. We're gonna need. We need a Benoit Blanc. We need Ryan Jan- Johnson and Hugh- the Huissons is so glorious, and I feel like I played a small part in it, and I'm just so happy because he's great, and he'll be yes. great with in this world too. Is he wearing was was Daniel Craig in the bath with a cigar wearing a fez? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> While on a Zoom chat with Yo-Yo Ma. I love that his um, apartment bathroom or whatever was terrible. Like the bathroom <laughs> yeah, we would have had. It was like the college. dude's bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> but then his like veranda, like his patio. Four was billion like, dollar view. Yeah. yeah. It was like out of Versailles. <laughs> and like it was unbelievable. <laughs> that was a great. I don't know if that was what that was supposed to say, but it made me laugh. Location, 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 I guess. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean these are these are so fun. Uh they they're hysterically funny, but I have to say halfway through when you find out there's a twin, I did not care for that. Me and Ben <laughs> Shapiro are furious, and I've got some thoughts after this. Um it invalidates the whole first half of the movie. You know? <laughs> the uh what yeah, did you think sorry. of the the character intros, Richard? You talked about satire. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. the fact that they he set this in 2020, um, yeah. and we only really it's only really talked about for like that the character intro scene and how he uses the masks mm-hmm. of everybody to <laughs> yeah. tell their personality. You know, uh, Blanc has and, this like really dapper one, and Kate oh, Hudson man. comes Blanc's with mask. Like, I was trying to wear that just in case COVID comes back again. <laughs> I'm like, I need that Benoit Blanc mask. <laughs> When Kate Hudson shows up in the full net, I Birdie, here's her character's yeah. name. I, I lost it. I was like, that is the best way to just you know everything about that person from that. Did, do you know this bit of trivia? When uh Ryan brought that script to Kate Hudson, she just started laughing and she goes, and he was like, What? 
and he goes uh she said kurt russell's called her birdie her whole life that's his really? nickname for her yeah <laughs> that's isn't that funny, funny? And so it was like kind of that intro that. is so is such a Penny Lane intro. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's I such like a Goldie Lahan part. Yes, which she hasn't always yeah. done, which was it's really all cool. happening. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody I saw on on Twitter was like, "That is absolutely who Penny Lane would grow up to be." Is right. that per, that kind of person? You know, that's a great. She was absolutely hilarious. I thought Ryan Johnson's screenplay was was really funny. The line that killed me, Edward Norton's character killed me. He was so, so <laughs> funny in the beginning, like the first hour of He's this. such a great villain, but it was funny to see him be a funny villain. Again. When he, yeah, yeah, when he was just the yeah. douchiest tech billionaire yeah. guy. Yeah. Julian the, the Flynn line wrote that, that, and she's not cheap. Yeah. The line that killed me, Richard, is when he's sitting on around the pool and he's playing under the bridge and he goes, I know he doesn't get a lot of credit, but Frushante really is the heart of the Chili Peppers. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just. Well, he has fax machines everywhere. He's just super committed yes. to faxing. Yes, that's a bit. Yeah. That's a very Kent Garrison bit that I've been all had his, with you guys. All for of his years. little yeah. pop culture takes are perfect. The fact that when they do the flashback, he's literally made himself look like Tom Cruise in Magnolia. Yes, yes. <laughs> the vest and everything was funny. Uh, so Jeremy funny. Renner's small batch hot sauce that killed <laughs> me. me. That absolutely. Yeah. And then Jared Leto's. Hard kombucha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ryan Johnson might be one of us. He might just be like the fourth member of the pod that we never knew about. Definitely. Definitely. Edward Orton, he's he's such an interesting uh, actor, too, and perfect for that. It That's one of those where you go, I think I've told the story on the pod. I've certainly told you guys before, but like <laughs> years ago, I worked at a bookstore. And the uh, one of the guys I'd worked with directed theater and he always did these cool plays around town. I, and I was like, oh, I did theater in high school. If you ever would let me just audition, that'd be cool or whatever. Years later, after we worked together, I got a call. He goes, I got a partner to be perfect for. It's yours. You don't even have, you just got to show up to the audition, but it's all yours. And I did. And I ended up doing the play. Brian went to it. But like mm-hmm. uh, the play was um, Helen Keller's jerk older brother. <laughs> He's like, it's a part you'd be perfect for. So I just got to bully Helen Keller. And I kind of was like, oh, man, that's kind of insulting, right? Like, I don't, <laughs> you know? And so I feel like this was the Edward Norton, like, I have a part you'll be perfect for. He's a blowhard billionaire tech investor. <laughs> My wife watches these shows. She's really into one right now. Um, thanks to uh, the cruise we just went on. It was like one of the only things on FBI. It's another Dick <laughs> yeah. Wolf uh, production. Uh, I'm always fascinated by the characters that get cast in that. It's like, all right, dude, we've got this guy. He's a rapist, and and uh, but it but listen, this will be a big break. Like, I always <laughs> want to be the young actor. It's like, man, I got this Dick Wolf thing, but I have to play a rapist. I think should I do it? And I always am fascinated that the person's like, yeah, yeah that's you me. Be the, I got you. You want to be the one that 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 go, you are our next choice. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you want to almost yeah. get the right, you know. Oh, uh, there's just something about you that wasn't man. quite believable. You were great, yeah. but you'll maybe something else. That's what you want to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ever Norton, like when he got cast, you're like, okay, he's gonna, if he's it not the villain, he's the gonna be, I yeah. was like, the whodunit will be, he's gonna end up being good because it's too obvious that he's bad, right? Because I have all right. this, maybe bad that's why, yeah, why you a never primal fear him. and and Italian job and. I was like, this is too obvious. And I was like, nope, just he's terrible. Spoiler alert. 
don't know why you're still listening, but that's on you. <laughs> I, I thought the refrain slash, I don't know, metaphor of the glass was a, was a fun motif that he kind of brought back uh, Ryan Johnson with the glass onion and the glass table he falls on, like the bullet holes and glass, the mm-hmm. glass mm-hmm. power thing. I thought the whole, the whole movie kind of centered around that in a natural thematic way. I thought was, uh, was pretty special. Like, I mean, like I said, this is pure vision from him and you see it. What, what did you think about the runtime of this though? Richard, two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a new rule. I, I floated it to you guys today. <laughs> um, you can make a movie at any length, any director, and we decide on it. But if it's not a huge hit, then you don't get to make a movie for 10 years if it's over <laughs> two and a half hours. And this was great. I loved it. He gets to keep making them. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. if you, you know, Director X, if you want to make a three-hour movie about... Uh, you know, cholera go with God, man. But like, if you don't get a best picture nomination out of that, you were, you have to go work in, you uh, know, yeah. Um, widgets for a few years. <laughs> yeah. That's a um, good rule, right? It's just, yeah. but if you make a bad movie and it's 88 minutes, all right, well, you know, it just didn't work. We'll try again next year. That's fine. It's, it's all, you, there needs to be some stakes on these three hour movies is all I'm saying. Yeah. I thought the pacing was actually excellent in this movie like i said i i think that the introductions of the characters and when they all first get to the island is so entertaining that i'm fine with it kind of lingering and them just kind of hanging out for and doing bits for for a little bit i i kind of enjoyed that that part of the movie where they're just vacationing yeah and um when it got to the actual mystery part it, it kind of for me was like oh now the fun's over now we gotta actually have to figure this this thing out. It was great how quickly he solved the fake yes, mystery but Benoit Blanc showing up crazy. and immediately solving the actual thing was so great. That was a great twist. I thought, yeah, yeah, and he's just so pissed about it. Too. Do I get an iPad? Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I the iPad that. thing was great too because he just kept interrupting him. That's what killed me. There's the the final interruption where he's like, "I don't, I don't really need an iPad. I, I just." I just got carried away. I just got really excited. About and then he immediately things. runs up and gets so in the iPad when yes. he solves it. Some of the <laughs> phrases, the phrases that he uses, I, Johnson's vocabulary for that character of, you know, when he gets vaccinated, he's like, is that some sort of disinfectant? You know, like that word for me, <laughs> disinfectant. And the way he said it was so funny. Can we get more Ethan Hawke later on in these movies, by the way? That oh, was funny. Man. Yeah. Yeah. As Ethan Hawke got to go to Greece thing. just to do that. That ruled. Yeah. Solving the murder immediately, I, I thought was a good twist. But here, here's what I wanted to ask you guys about the actual, you know, mystery in this thing. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you, Richard, and we are in spoilers, by the way. If you haven't seen this, I'm kind of with you. Like, there was one moment, kind of towards the middle. I think it's, uh, I don't know, maybe an hour and ten in when, when they're all partying and the actual, and. Uh, in the actual Glass Onion, and I think Edward Norton's character Miles says like, "Oh, go go twirl your dress. Look how awesome her dress is." Like he says something <laughs> like that, like just yeah. to clearly like, "Hey, look over there." Moment in this, and I was like, "Oh man, that to me that was like right when that moment happened." I kept watching that character, and then when they go back to it and show it, I was a little disappointed. So this one, I guess, 
strung me on a little bit less than the first one did. Like I probably yeah, figured this sure. out, yeah. went out a little bit easier. I don't know if that, that was necessarily a bad thing because I definitely enjoyed it. But uh, yeah. I think this one was less about who is the culprit and more about, Why? yeah, the, the, the motive yeah. and then the revenge. Right. It, you know, yeah, the revenge in the first one is, is it's not a small thing. It's a huge thing, but it is a, Small sequence, you know, it's yeah. like a the reveal essentially on, and that's it. Um, this is, you know, way more about uh, that her rising, her phoenix rising from the ashes kind of thing, right? With, with the so, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The, the, the mystery of it all was, was more, was more entertaining, more, mm, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but a little less obvious in the first the first go than this one is for sure i kept wondering what significance the mona lisa was going to have in this mm -hmm. uh, i mean i thought that was a great bit of they needed money i had it on he's like that uh mona lisa's the property of the state department <laughs> um i thought that was great but i honestly thought the way he ryan johnson cut that that sequence together of the uh glass going up and down right on it that somebody was going to get decapitated and that was going to be the they were going to yeah. decapitate somebody with the mona lisa like somebody was going to get too close and then the, somebody's going to get a notification and then like the notification was what killed him right <laughs> it's this it's, it's a very on the nose satirical thing but that ended up not happening i don't know if he was teasing that did you guys think that was going to happen or was it just me i don't know if he was i think they were just really trying to hammer home the security of the mona lisa so that wasn't just like it's easy to burn and then the the safe switch or the kill switch of the, the security mm -hmm. i thought like when whenever duke dies and they lose the phone i was gonna be like oh is it open now and someone's gonna steal it you know like I was wondering what the sure. significance was. Obviously, at the end, the significance of the burning, and I love the line of "Now your name will be synonymous with the Mona Lisa." Yeah, as synonymous as the Mona Lisa. I love that uh, that little closer. But yeah, that I, I liked that note. I thought that was a really a really fun thing to kind of MacGuffin throughout the movie. Um, the the scene though that's getting the most hate, not the scene, the mo I guess plot line of the movie that like you guys mentioned as a twin thing. I loved that. I thought that was a great twist. Gave the movie this this whole new life, this whole new energy. And the reason for that is I think the sequence of them just sitting on the terrace talking is fa fantastic. One of my mm -hmm. favorite scenes of the year. That's a real classic shot, film. Just an incredibly, mm -hmm. yeah, just a classic like cinematic two characters hashing out plot details type of scene but it's so pivotal so important and you can tell ryan johnson like really took his time but, like the camera movement on that is yeah it's great the blocking like that to me was the scene that i was like i love this movie <laughs> you know? i don't know if he gets enough credit for for his, the technical side of of his movies yeah i i and that's not really my like department you know <laughs> when we when we do this show but the he's he he might legitimately be a genius on pacing and camera work and um like the little uh subconscious 
clues and cues that he uses to like keep your mind focused here or to, to misdirect it over here. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, we've mentioned a whole bunch of them here in the last stretch, but it just, it all culminates in like, I'm not sure if I just said, if you just said, Hey, like who are the most technically gifted directors uh, working right now? I'm not sure where I would list him, but it would be, or, or like how quickly his name would come to, to mind, but it would be too late and too low because yeah. he's really freaking good at this. turns out he's not just, I think he's a great writer. I think he's, I think the writing is the thing that he does the best, but I think that he is like an all timer kind of writer. So if he's, if he's only an a plus at some of these other things, I mean, good gracious. He's this to me was a, was was a really good example of how you can how you can do great craft within a a world that doesn't necessarily typically call for it or demand it in all of these different levels. And he's I, not I thought to it break was a, things kind of down. We saw it with the throne room, right? He's not mm-hmm. afraid to like throw a big twist in the second act that sets up a whole different third act than what you thought you're building to. And mm-hmm. to pace of that. Mm-hmm. And this has that, right? Once once Janelle Monet's first character is shot, okay, we're going to totally wind this back and we'll show you this through a completely new perspective um, to set up a different third act than what you thought we were building to, um, which is, you know, a trope of a murder mystery for sure. But normally that's a little like beginning of the third act. I think the Ryan Johnson kind of signature at this point, at least through a few films, is doing that earlier on, or at mm-hmm. least doing it enough where the threat of this could this whole paradigm could totally change at any moment. Um, and maybe it won't, but I know he's done this before. He can, you know, he can totally change the tone of this instantly. So I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat because anything could happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a cool thing. So uh, I want to talk through one more thing before we, we give out grades here. Uh, you know, Anadarmus was such a breakout of that, of that first film and, and, uh, so great in that and so sympathetic and all of that. What did you think sort of her parallel in this was, uh, Janelle Monet? Um, what did you think of her performance in this as, as both characters? I thought she was great. I've seen her in, in, a, in a lot of stuff, obviously, you know, heard her music and stuff like that. Um, but I think she's kind of an established actress already. I don't know if yeah. it's going to have the same, like, no, no, I don't impact know. as I don't mean going forward, just in oh. this. Did you think she, cause like, she's the real, yeah. you know, if that doesn't work, the whole thing doesn't work. Right. If she doesn't ground everything. Um, to Brian's point earlier, or maybe it was Kent's was like, you know, he's not the protagonist of these. It's 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 more in this movie, it's definitely her. Um yeah. is she grounded enough to let uh as kind of a, a partner in crime with Benoit to make it work? Yeah, I think so. I, I like I said, I think that, that one pivotal scene, I think it starts out with the Hugh Grant thing and her bringing him the box and inviting him and, and doing that. I think if that doesn't work, then you don't then none of the second half really works with the same emotional strength as the Anna Darmus stuff did, uh, you know, in her kind of arc in that movie. I right. thought it was fantastic. The fact that they had her in disguise, like let's play you in disguise and no one's going to know it's you. And mm-hmm. the only person that's going to know it's you is the murderer. And it was just such a smart way to go about it that, um, I don't know, it gave her character. Like I didn't care about her character at all until that moment. <laughs> like whoever this character was that founded the company with miles and she was very standoffish mm-hmm. and all that. Like I was like, okay, she's, she's kind of here, but um, yeah, I thought the backstory they had written for her and the entire way that 
she figures this out that the way that they play everybody. I thought when the with the hot sauce rolling into her nose was a great moment of tension <laughs> there. Uh, I thought it was great, man. Janelle Monet slayed this. Everybody slayed this, though. Like I can't think of a bad performance in this, really, which is saying something. I mean, this is a, a true ensemble. Not bad at all. I I do think. Um, speaking of Hamilton earlier, um, I thought Leslie Odom was a little underused a bit, and it might be on the editing room floor. You you cut things in terms of of mm-hmm. uh, so you can you know get the narrative going. It's already two and a half hours, whatever. But I thought. The way that character sets up, you know, working for Miles at the beginning, you keep thinking there's going to be a lot more to that guy than just like yeah. kind of a Greek chorus of, oh, ah, oh, we're not going to leave him. You know, um, that was the only one I was a little disappointed by. Yeah, his character and, and Catherine Hans both got underwritten a little bit just from like their, and some of it is just like time. I I'm willing to bet but, there's more. He said that there yeah. was way more with, with Bautista's thing that got cut out yeah. too. I, I think I think for both of them, like the That's story right, of why they're here and how they're connected and all that mm-hmm. stuff was a little underplayed compared to the rest. And with respect to Leslie Odom Jr., who's who's very good, Catherine Hahn just freaking sold it yeah. really, really well in the the sure. spare minute she had on screen. And and Leslie Odom Jr. was was a little bit uh, a little bit lesser on that front. I thought he he's he's I kept coming like oh right and him too forgot okay right, yeah same. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And he's great. Uh, you know, so nothing against him, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that one felt a little because like even like whiskey is getting more like yeah, you know. Yeah. Um and she was good, by the way. That actress was was cool. Mm-hmm. I've never seen her before. So um she was good. And and that that little dynamic between her and Batista and Miles was was really well done and funny. I just I just wish there had been something like that for I feel like actually, even though there was stuff left on the floor for Batista, I feel like that character was more fleshed out. Um than, than Leslie. Mm-hmm. That was my only uh one. But yeah, I thought it was mm-hmm. I thought it was great. But um anyway. All right. So let's uh should we wrap her up with a grade? Yeah, yeah let's do it. All right, let's grade it out. I can go first. I'm gonna give this just a solid right down the middle A. Maybe an A plus if I watch it again, but uh, I'm gonna give it an A for now. What about you, Kent? Yeah, I'm between an A and an A plus. Same. Um like a ninety six, so I'll go A plus. Nice. Brian, Brian, what about you? Yeah, I'm kind of between those two as well. Um, I think, man, the landscape's great. My favorite, I forgot to mention, my, like maybe the funniest thing in the mu- the, mu- the music, the, the entire movie to me was when he, when he points out what an idiot. Yes. Uh, I was, it's it was so one o'clock in the morning, I'm in my that. living room by myself and I was cackling it was such a funny funny moment like the whole this is what's been ticking around in my head and ah i was dying it was was just incredible and all of them like having their glass shattering moments of like oh yeah he kind of is an idiot (laughs) interesting interesting and man just incredible commentary on internet society right now i think with billionaires and such Uh, oh yeah couldn't have timed it better with the elon stuff (laughs) yeah it worked out very very well very very well for him um so you know what i'll go i'll go a plus i'll go a plus just for just for that just for the coincidence nice all righty well uh that was a great one can't wait to see knives out what we have in store for number three hopefully we get more uh benoit a little more a little more hugh grant would be awesome excited to hear him say uh ryan johnson dialogue at a nice locale what do we think maybe like a ski chateau for the next one Mm, that'd be good yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Did you hear how 
uh, Johnson's mad that they made him put a knives out mystery yeah. on the title of this. Yeah. I, I would, I would encourage him to not gripe about it. Yeah. They, yeah. Gave, him they gave him 400 million. million. <laughs> so I think the, I don't, I don't know the full context, but I, I think his point's probably like knives out isn't the name of the series. That was like the name of the first movie. Yeah. Like this one's called glass onion. It's not going to be a glass onion mystery is the next one. Right. Maybe it should be a Benoit Blanc mystery. Maybe that makes makes more sense than Knives I, Out. I'm with you. I think Knives Out is a great name for the series because it's all these. Everyone's yeah. got their knives out, going for something, and I think it's a and it's a Radiohead song, Kent. So yeah, um, I'm I'm Glass Onion, I'm, Little Beatles. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad they uh, Netflix forked over the money to use the actual Glass Onion song because I was wondering yeah. if that was going to pop up. Same. And sure enough, closing credits. The actual, next, maybe uh, the next one will be like uh, we've got two English bands. Maybe we'll get some like Oasis for you for the third one. <laughs> champagne Supernova. Yeah, Champagne one. Supernova, a <laughs> Knives Out mystery. That'd be cool. I like it. All right, that was that was uh, Glass Onion. Let's let's hit them with a quick weekly recommend. Weekly recommends. Brian, what you got this week? Yeah, I gave a little spoiler for it at the uh, the start of the episode, but uh, took the kid to see. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and it ruled. It's it's really freaking good. Had no idea that that was going to be a thing that would be... When they announced that, I was like, okay, really? We're going to do this again? Um, the animation style is like um, a slightly less high Spider-Verse kind nice. of thing. Like it has this... It's. I mean, they did really great work on the animation side of things. It's it's a great little story, and and uh, it I think probably is the best kids movie I saw this year. Nice. Um, would not I have expected Shrek. that at all. Uh, we got yeah. tracked out for a while, and that's I get it. Sure. They're just throwing them at us mm-hmm. for about ten years yeah. there, but they, they timed this one well too. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I really like this. I do like this universe. I just got four of these in like ten years, so sure, for um, sure, yeah. So so cool. And it's really good. It's really, really enjoyable. Great, great voice cast. Mulaney's yeah. incredible. Oh yeah. Um, not that that's a super surprise mm-hmm. or anything, but, but, uh, like on another level, as far as the, the voice stuff goes, he does some really fun stuff. Uh, and it, yeah, it, 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 it does all those things that Shrek did. Well, I'm not the biggest Shrek fan. I'm not James Olsen in the discord, but I, I love Shrek. It's, For Shrek so I, I think Shrek's fun. I'm not, but I'm not in love with it, but it was, it was all the things that I think work really well in the Shrek verse. Uh-huh. Um, were it was like they hit all of those. Like, oh yeah, cool. We have we have some witty dialogue. We're gonna have some jokes that are, you know, um, not offensive, but like for adults yeah. a little bit. The 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 voice acting is gonna be really fun. It and it looks and obviously, but genuinely, the animation was incredible on this thing. So love that. I was really, the interrogation. Really of the gingerbread man I was like, do you know the muffin man? <laughs> yeah. The muffin man funny. on the yeah. first one is yeah. such a great bit. I yeah. always think of that. Very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Shrek two is the best of that whole bunch. And part of a little bit of that at least is, uh, Antonio Banderas is puss is really funny mm-hmm. in that. Um, and it's like a great addition. So, um, Antonio is obviously, yeah, he's awesome. Salma's great. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot of, it's, it's very well done. So I was, I was kind of going into it as like, like I saw the Rotten Tomato score before I went and I was like, really? it's got to be like a, hey, this isn't terrible. Yeah. So cool, you know, kind of thing. But it wasn't. It was, it was, it was much more than that. So anyway, I can't wait to really, watch it. really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be, I'm excited for that one, actually. I won't go see it because I'm not a psycho like you, but no, <laughs> I'm kidding. If I had a kid, I totally would. 
Uh, I mean, I have you a kid, don't. but a movie theater kid. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants me to bring my infant into. <laughs> we did go see. Um, there was like a Lars, a Lars Van Trier kind of roadshow thing that I brought him to, but uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it was at a special raise theater. Him right, yeah, you know, don't worry about raise it. Him right. All right, so uh, Kent, what about you? What's your weekly recommend? Yeah, I'm gonna recommend a documentary that I watched. <laughs> Another throwback one. It's uh, on HBO. Did you guys watch this Miss Cleo doc yet? Call me Miss no, Cleo. No, I haven't. I, I, I'm interested in it though. Yeah, you guys, you guys need to watch it. Such an odd <laughs> infomercial back in the day. Yeah. Miss, call me now. And yeah, it just goes into that. What the heck that was about? Who Miss Cleo was? Uh, it's really interesting. So, uh, so check that out if you remember those those commercials on HBO. Call me Miss Cleo. Nice. That's what it's called. Nice. Uh, I'm going to do a book. Um, I can't not say it in comic, comic book guy voice. It's best movie year ever um, <laughs> by Brian Rafferty. Raff, Raftery? I'm gonna try this is one about 1999. Yeah, it's about 99. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah, this I think you would really dig yeah. it. Oh, did you read it? I did. I did. Yeah, a couple was, maybe during the pandemic or Yeah, so. I was going to say, yeah. I feel like one of us recommended it. I thought it was Brian, but I guess it was you. Yeah, it's really good. Really, really good. And I love yeah. the selection of movies. I love the format of the book. I think it's really smart the way he pairs everything and kind of does, you know, winter, spring, summer, fall. Um, I just, mm-hmm. I really liked the way it was orchestrated and, and built out. So uh, best movie year ever, Brian Raftery. And uh, that's my weekly recommend. Okay, boys. Th- that is it for uh, Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. Looking forward to a third one of these. And uh, this is our last, what, main feed episode of the year. And when we come back to the main feed, we're going to be a 10-year-old podcast, 2023. I mean, technically, it's like end of January, but like if we're going by the year, we're going to be a 10-year-old podcast. And we've got some fun stuff um, in the works this coming year that we're going to put together for maybe if you guys want to come out, listen to us, maybe do some kind of live thing or just meet and greet not that's really we're not celebrities not meet and greet meet and greet each other hang out um we're gonna have all kinds of kombuchas um of both the leto and not a little variety so it's gonna be a blast but anyway uh we will see you and we will discuss that more as we get into our 10th year but gentlemen what a pleasure it's been this year with you and uh we'll see you soon on Zoom streaming stuff because movie theaters are dying. So, goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. The salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. <laughs>